This is Negotiate X Podcast, show number 83, part B. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Negotiate X podcast. We are continuing our conversation with Rich Ramsey, leadership coach, workshop facilitator, and consultant. If you haven't already checked out part A of the show, be sure to do that first. Let's jump into the conversation with Rich. So, Rich, I imagine many listeners are thinking, hey, this is all fine and good. But, Rich, you don't know my boss. You don't know my client, my supplier. <laughs> They're just a real jerk. They're insanely difficult. And the issue is they won't drop their armor. How much you coach someone? when they give you that response that, Hey, I'm doing what you're saying, but it's this other person in the conversation. They're the real problem. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I know the three of us and, and probably many more are familiar with the expression lead by example. And, you know, it's kind of hard in a coaching situation to somebody, oh, you, just, you just need to lead by example, keep leading by example. So one of the, the things I like to do is, you know, when somebody thinks they're absolutely nailing it, that they just couldn't be doing any better, go look for some feedback. Go seek out the feedback rather than waiting for it to come to you. You know, ask people around you how they think you're doing and it's start close in where it might be a little bit safer. You know, it might be with that number two on your team or in your organization. You know, how do you, how do you think I'm doing? I know I'm so fortunate throughout my career to, to have especially first sergeants and sergeants majors who really I could go to and say, how am I doing? Uh, and they would tell me how I'm doing. And, you know, I trusted the feedback that they were giving me. So, yeah, I think one thing is to, to go ask folks, how, how am I doing here? You know, this is how I'm seeing myself. How are you seeing me? How do you think others are seeing me? And then start to expand it out a little bit. And, you know, even it might feel a little risky and might require dropping some armor. But ask that person who maybe is the the antagonist or the naysayer on the team uh, how they think you're doing and, and see what you get. Uh, one, you're probably going to hear some things, uh, see some things, discover some things that you didn't previously see or you didn't previously know. And just by you asking, without even saying it, you're going to communicate, I trust you. I trust you. I'm coming to you and asking you for some feedback. That other person's going to hear in that, well, they must trust me. So that's, that's one thing. And then, you know, based on what you hear, it might be worth looking for some, I call them next adjacent possible moves that you can make. Uh, here's how I'm doing. Here's, you know, here's something that's going well. What's an adjacent, what's the next move I can make that's going to continue to have that go well? If something, where something's not going well. What's one move I can make? One, and I, I, you know, another name for these are safe to fail experiments that I got from a previous colleague of mine. You know, Ronnie would teach us about doing these safe to fail experiments where I'm going to take some action that if it doesn't go well, 
you know, the sky's not going to fall. The earth's not going to stop spinning. It might not go well, but it's, it's fairly safe. So, you know, an example of that might be when I was, you know, sharing the story about the client, it's just adjusting his listening was a safe to fail experiment. He didn't even have to tell anybody he was doing it. He just chose to go into a conversation with his number two and say, how am I doing? And then listen rather than from a kind of through this listening of you want me to fail, you don't want us to succeed to you want this organization to succeed listening to that. And, and he heard things that, you know, he hadn't heard before, or at least in a long time. And it, it helped him shift how he was being with his team members. So yeah, I think finding these, these safe to fail experiments, doing something that you could easily recover from is a viable step you can take. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and what I'm basically hearing is that really at the essence of this conversation is relationships. And as you've mentioned uh, multiple times, the foundation of any relationship, professional or personal, is trust. And so how do you build, maintain, and when needed, repair uh, trust in human-to-human interactions? Yeah, Nolan, I think you're absolutely on target there that, that one, yeah, this is all about human-to-human relationships uh, and, and trust is, for me, at the core of those relationships. You know, when you look at trust, some people think of it as an input variable, like trust has to be present in order for something to happen, in order for us to collaborate or to cooperate or, you know, work on something together for me to provide you feedback. Other people see it more as an output variable that, you know, when we collaborate, we're going to build trust and then we'll have trust or more trust. For me, it's, I think of it, you know, it's both and it's almost like a flywheel. Like the more I can trust you, the more maybe we can work together and the more we work together, the more uh, trust we can have and, and we can build it and create more and more of it as we go. I also happen to believe that, you know, there's gotta be some level of trust present for us to, to do anything together. I knew that at least for me, going back to the stories in Iraq is I, I had to have some level of trust to take off my armor that, you know, it would be safe for me to do that and be able to sit in these meetings uh, and have these conversations without any armor uh, to protect me. So yeah, I just, I'm sharing that for me, uh, I see it as let's get it created. And so we can build it as we work together. Um, I think a few things, uh, and I'm primarily drawn on the work of Charles Feltman here when I think about trust. And one is that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. Sometimes we think of, and we even say this, right? It, it shows up in our common everyday language of, I don't trust that person, or I don't think they trust me. That has kind of this connotation of it's it's all or nothing, or I, I do trust this person, uh, or I believe they trust me. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an all or nothing. There could be reasons why I do trust you and there might be some reasons why I don't. And for me, you know, continuing to draw on Feltman is useful that there's some variables that I can consider when making an assessment about trust. One is competence. Like, is the person competent? Do they know what, do they know what they need to know in order to do what they're expected to do? Sincerity is another variable. Do they walk their talk? You know, are they really who they say they are? Another one is reliability. You know, can they be counted on to get something done? Do they get 
get it done on time? Do they get it done? Do they meet the expectations of, you know, whatever they're doing? And then another variable and in what I think is the most important and what I think Feltman would say too is care. Do they care about the team, the organization? Do they care about what we're up to or what we're trying to accomplish? And that really becomes critical. Uh, you know, when you think about it, if, if somebody doesn't have a skill or a uh, have some knowledge they need, you know, kind of cut them some slack and they're like, well, they'll learn. I can teach them that. They can learn that. You know, if they don't get something turned in on time, there's a little degradation of trust, but, you know, trust may not be gone. But if they don't care about what we're trying to accomplish or I feel like they don't care about me or, you know, turning this the other direction, if uh, somebody feels like I don't care about them, I kind of wonder why I would expect them to trust me. So I think it's useful to look at that. And I, I offer those in that, you know, trust doesn't have to be that all or nothing thing. I can look for reasons why I can trust you. And then I can kind of hone in on what it is we need to work on to increase and have and build more trust in our relationship. You know, you mentioned building trust, maintaining trust, repairing trust. And for me, it sounds very simple to say, and it's it's a little bit harder to practice, but it's looking for reasons to trust somebody and then extending it to them. If I want to build trust, let me look for a reason to trust you and extend trust to you. If I want to maintain it, look for reasons to trust and extend it or repair. You know, to be sure that in any relationship, there's going to be some violation of trust at some point right? Like, you know, I might say that I'm going to be home by five o'clock and I don't get home till six or seven o'clock. And I never let you know I wasn't going to be home till six or seven o'clock. Uh, I may not get something done on time. So there's going to be these, these violations where it doesn't have to be that, well, now I can't trust you. I still get that you care about us. I still get that you're incredibly competent in what you're doing and you're not, you know, being as reliable as I need you to be right now. So let's talk about you know, getting stuff turned in on time or completed on time so we can have this as full as possible trust between us. The last thing on trust is, you know, we often hear these people say, well, they need to earn my trust. She needs to earn my trust if we're going to have a good working relationship. In this, you know, I going back to work I did previously in the Granger Network, it, this, I got this from there that while I'm sitting here saying, hey, Aram, hey, Nolan, you need to earn my trust. What are the two of you doing at the same time? Probably sitting there saying, hey, Rich, you need to earn our trust for us to have this working relationship that we want to have and be able to accomplish what we want to accomplish. So here the two or three of us are in that relationship waiting for the other person to earn trust. And we're not going to get very far very fast. Or at a minimum, it's going to take a lot longer to get somewhere or to get something done than it really needs to. Whereas if I look for those opportunities to extend trust, I'm going to find them if I really look for them. And if I bring in, you know, I'm a fan of Cialdini, Robert Cialdini, and he has these, he talks about influence. And one of the things he talks about is reciprocity, this law of reciprocity, uh, that if I treat you a certain way or I give you something that the kind of natural state of things is that you're going to feel like you need to reciprocate and give me something or do something for me. Uh, so that influences me. 
that if I want you to trust me, then I should look for a reason to trust you and extend trust to you. And, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to reciprocate and we're going to be headed in a really good direction together. So, Rich, I, I love how you frame this entire conversation around trust, especially Feltman's variables, that it's not an all or nothing sort of thing. Just to double down on on kind of one piece of it, when trust has been broken, um, I've asked you to do something, uh, you didn't get it done. So the violation in reliability, perhaps, um, why is it, and my tendency might be to bring you the evidence and just pour the evidence on, hey, Rich, get your act together. You know, you didn't do this, right? Now I don't trust you. Um, why is that not a helpful approach? And what is another way that you would suggest or coach someone to kind of help the other person identify it for themselves? I, I know you referred to this as a dis disorienting dilemma before. I re recognize for themselves their own role in the in, in the whatever breakdown in trust there's been. The first thing I'll say there, Aaron, is you're giving me some flashbacks uh, to some work we did together <laughs> at the Air Force Academy a number of years. I wasn't ago. intentionally doing that. I <laughs> well, I mean, the, you know, I violated Aram's trust in that uh, he was directing a course and he gave me, you know, really the honor to be a faculty member in that course. And I screwed up. I I wasn't getting grading done on time, getting grades turned in on time. And it was putting Aram in a tough spot with his boss. And, you know, so I, I violated his trust. Now, thankfully, Aram is generous and gracious. And that wasn't the end of our relationship. Uh, and I, you know, Aram, I don't think we had these variables of competence and reliability and care then. But for me, it's kind of a sense-making thing that you know, I, I know that you knew that I cared about that course, that I was competent and, you know, teaching and I was screwing up and I wasn't being reliable and we had to work on that. And I, I think the worst thing you could have done, Aram, is just pile the, I think going back to your question about, you know, what, what do you do when um, trust has been violated and the inclination is to bring a bunch of evidence. You know, I think there's generally speaking two situations that may occur. One, I already know that I'm not being reliable or that I'm doing something that's violating your trust. So, you know, just dealing with that first, if you would have come to me with, here's all the evidence, it probably just would have ticked me off a little bit. And I may have withdrawn, disengaged, whatever, become even more unreliable, who knows? And that would have been on me. I take responsibility for that. But, you know, in, in those situations, when the other person realizes what they're doing, I think support. And that's what you offered me, Aaron, was a lot of support uh, in getting the things done that I needed to get done, you know, for us, for the course, for the students that we were teaching. I think in other situations, the person may not realize what they're doing. They may not see it. And if I come to you with a bunch of evidence, you know, on the surface, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. It, it may in some way be helpful. What the risk is, is that as soon as I start, as soon as I, I, I didn't accuse you, I intend to accuse you of anything, but you hear it as an accusation uh, that you're not being reliable. And then here's all the evidence. And so I'm just kind of getting the, the cortisol is getting worked up and I'm starting to feel more and more defensive. I think, uh, and that's not going to you know help anybody. I think something that we can do is help people see for themselves where they're being reliable or they're not being reliable. It, you know, it might be where you ask the question is we're engaging in this conversation about trust. 
you know, where do you see yourself being trustworthy? And are there areas or where are the areas where you see yourself maybe not being trustworthy? And see what the person already sees for themselves. You know, get curious and ask some questions rather than, you know, being judgmental. And again, there's something to be fixed here. There's something to be addressed. But asking questions and helping the person see it for themselves, well, I'm not getting grades turned in on time. Okay. And and not getting grades turned in on time, what's the impact of that on the course, on us, on the students? And as I start to talk through some of that based on the questions you're asking me and the, the care you're extending to me by asking those questions, I think, you know, you mentioned this disorienting dilemma that I might experience this where I get a little kind of twisted up and a little uncomfortable. And then when the, the leader or the coach can provide the care and support to get that person moving in the right direction, I think we're back to where we're, we're headed in a, two good places together. But the pointing out where somebody's doing wrong, piling the evidence on, bringing those judgments to the surface, sometimes it works and oftentimes it doesn't. And, and really being curious about what's going on, having the other person asking them questions to help them see it for themselves, I think is really viable. Yeah. And those are hard, hard conversations, right? It takes a lot of patience. Um, you know, we focused, you were focusing a lot there kind of on the reliability piece and, but there's also, I mean, if competence is the issue, if that's where it's a breakdown to say, well, you know, where do you need to learn something or be trained on something even more difficult when it's an issue around the variables of sincerity or care. Um, I, I often like to say, if you really want to tell how strong a relationship is, it's, being able to have those sorts of conversations. I mean, that's like the strongest tie between two people is when you can talk about what's not going well and where there's been a breakdown. Yeah, really good. Really, really good. Rich, you're involved in a leader development, you know, at both West Point and, and the other academy, uh, sorry, Air Force Academy. Uh, given those experiences, your work with college athletic teams and your current work with a variety of organizations, what are the things that many people get right when it comes to developing leaders and where are there opportunities for improvement? Well, first, uh, go Army. Yeah. Just drop that in there. <laughs> you know, I think some of the things that that people get right, whether it's at West Point or the Air Force Academy or in organizations and companies I, I get the opportunity to work with now, is when the people who are experiencing the development or who are, are being developed get to have a say in their development get to you know have a contribution to how that development is going to go i think that's really viable and and we see that in in some of the companies that i get to work with now and i go to this idea of autonomy and autonomy is a a pretty important variable when it comes to motivation you know just having a little bit of say in how things are going to go can mean a lot as far as my motivation goes. And in this case, specifically motivation to really fully participate in that developmental opportunity. So I think the more that leaders can really give their people the, the opportunity to have a say in what the development topic is going to be or how it's going to go or when it's going to happen, I think can be really viable as compared to, you know, the leaders who just say, Hey, I know what needs to happen here. I know what needs to improve. This is what we're going to do kind of thing. You know, that, that's not necessarily bad, but it's also not necessarily as effective 
as it could be. So I, I think giving people a voice is really important. And then giving them the opportunity, and we were just speaking about this, to discover something for themselves, discover something new. I know we've all been a part of where we go into some training of some sort and you see the the slides come up and in the lower right-hand corner there, it's like one of 177 slides or something like that. And you just kind of settle in and, you know, you're not necessarily settling in in a good way, maybe you're in the most <laughs> um, primed for development sort of way. But, and this is something I've really had to learn is there were times in, in my career where I was guilty of creating those 177 long PowerPoint presentations, but to really just ask more questions get curious and give people the opportunity to experience seeing things for themselves. I know when somebody asks me a question, you know, I'm kind of, maybe I have some righteousness or some, you know, kind of like I got it all figured out. And somebody says, well, what, what is the impact you're having on others by acting that way or behaving that way? That alone causes me to pause and think. And, you know, I'm really grateful for those opportunities and it draws me in and makes you want to participate more rather than just being told. So I think, the, you know, those are two things. One, getting the opportunity to have a little bit of a say in what are we going to do? What's this development going to be about? And then during that experience, getting the opportunity to kind of, you know, ask me some questions, put me in some situations where I get to see something for myself. I think where it, it could improve is, you know, the number one thing, I'll just start with that is, when a leader says, here's what needs to change or be better or prove on my team, it's like, team, go, go do this development and I'm going to go, you know, do what I need to do kind of thing. And they don't participate. I find in the work that I do that the teams and organizations where the leader is involved and engaged and present, it's a whole different experience than when it's just the followers in the room. You often hear just during the breaks and in the back of the room conversations that, yeah, I don't know where the boss is. You know, I wish they were here to participate in this. And it's, it's not it's not malintent that, oh, they need to be here to participate. It's because I think the people really care about, you know, the boss being the opportunity to engage with the boss and, and these types of experiences. So one of the least effective things that happens is when it's just the followers need to get better kind of thing. Yeah. And that's tied in closely with when, you know, the person at the top thinks they know what needs to happen for things to improve without actually pulling in others, the people kind of at the ground level or on the front lines who are doing the work, you know, asking them what they need. So going back to the first thing, as far as giving people some autonomy and a voice in, in what it is they're doing. Yeah. And both of those, to go back to where we were at the very beginning of this conversation with dropping armor, I think a leader has to be able to drop their armor somewhat to one, give their people agency and ownership over their own development versus this is something I'm going to do to you. So, I mean, that's, again, it goes back to how a leader showing up. And then this last point that you're making, Rich, which is that I mean, leaders vote by their presence is, is, is I think closely, closely tied to that too. Yeah. I like that. The voting by their presence. I like that a lot. That's, and it's a powerful vote. You have a number, I know you're, you're, you're passionate about the, this topic that we've been talking about and you sit on the board for the warrior mission ranch, which strives to foster confidence, leadership skills, and purpose in individuals who have the hearts of warriors through the use of horsemanship, vocational and team building activities. In addition to 
becoming a professional horse writer. Can you share a bit about the, the this passion work you do and a little bit about this organization? Well, first, becoming a professional horse rider is a long way off if it's there at all. Uh, <laughs> but it is fun learning, and I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to, to learn. Yeah, Warrior Mission Ranch is, I, I got connected with Warrior Mission Ranch through a friend, Rob Morris, who I was a TAC officer at West Point with, and, and now he and I get to do some of this leadership development work together. Got connected to Mike McCabe, who is the founder and owner of Warrior Mission Ranch. Mike's story is, you know, I, I won't go deep into it, but bottom line is he, special forces soldier, officer uh, in the army. He was out of the operational world doing a training assignment as his family worked through some health issues. And he had a parachute accident where he hit the ground at 119 miles an hour. You can only imagine what that does to a person when they hit the ground wow. that fast, you know, years in the hospital and, and you can imagine the surgeries and the other things that happen. And he felt himself getting addicted to pain medication and he, he kind of quit cold turkey and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to continue to go down this path of what he felt was becoming addicted. And so some of the medical professionals he was working with referred him to a equine therapy ranch near San Diego. And he went and it changed his whole life. He'd had some experience with horses growing up, but you know, he really realized the impact of the human being and the horse working together. And, you know, he, he tells stories of that's where he really saw what trust was all about when horses who are prey animals uh, really extended trust to him and you know changed his life and he has now committed himself to providing experiences providing you know as you mentioned Aaron training to veterans who are looking for new opportunities who are experiencing challenges or hardships and what a you know just kind of what a what an organization what a story to have this person who uh, has dealt with what he's dealt with uh, and his wife Sarah's you know right there by his side uh, with him in this warrior mission ranch and bringing in veterans and teaching them horsemanship skills and, and helping them feel that discipline again, they felt when they were in the military and giving them challenges and fully supporting them as they experience those challenges. It's incredible growth for them. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, it really helps change lives, and it's it's really fun to be a part of. Well, thanks for doing that work, and as as fellow veterans, we really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. You've been married for over 20 years and have two wonderfully successful daughters. How do the concepts we discussed today transcend and apply to your personal life? Well, I, I think the first thing I would say is that um, my personal life is probably the best practice ground I have for anything we've talked about today and probably where I tend to mess up the most and, you know, <laughs> need people ex to extend me grace and, and patience. You know, Cassie Theoricala would, I'm sure, agree with that. <laughs> you know, I, it just, yeah, I mean, Thea and Kyle and, and what they're, they've done and what they're accomplishing is, is really cool to see, you know, just dealing with a proud dad, I guess. And, you know, just having the realization of where I have violated their trust and then you know, seeing them extend trust back to me or me looking for opportunities to extend to them trust is just one example uh, of, you know, kind of practicing what I, I like to engage in and, 
um, work with others on. I've really, really lately too been conscious of, we talked about judging others, seeing mistakes others make before I see my own. You know, it's counting myself as trustworthy, but counting others as untrustworthy. Where am I doing that in in my own life with my daughters? And, you know, the, those examples are there and it's, it's fun practicing. You know, we at the Air Force Academy we used to talk about, you know, it's this mountain with no top and that we're constantly, you know, getting up in the morning and getting on the mountain and climbing and, you know, doing our best to see the developmental opportunities in front of us, whether at home or in our work or wherever we may be engaged and having awareness of those opportunities and then, you know, doing something with them. We haven't said anything about humility and perseverance. We haven't like named them, but you, I felt like you talked like that's both of these. If we're, if we're really going to make changes in human to human interactions in how we show up there there is a need for both both of those things some a, a, a strong degree of humility <laughs> and and then just sticking with it even when well we don't get the response right away that we're hoping for or 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 we're struggling with our own like very deeply entwined behaviors or tendencies and this isn't a, a switch you just flip or it's not a magic pill or something you take. It's mm. It actually requires some degree of discipline and intentionality and, and so forth. I just see you as a very genuinely humble person who doesn't claim. I mean, and in that doesn't mean you're perfect all the time either. But that's that's a key piece here uh, to this. And, and the fact that we're what Kristen would call it being on an upward trajectory that I'm on an upward trajectory. I haven't, haven't made it yet, but boy, she's happy with the, with the progress I'm making. That's good to hear. Now, Aaron, <laughs> what I hear in, in what you're saying is that it's a practice, right? This is, and this is something I've really had to, to learn over the years, uh, more recently than before that, you know, everything we've talked about today is a practice. It's that, you know, before the sun sets tonight, somebody somewhere about something is probably going to cause me to, to question, even if subconsciously question, can I trust them? And, it, you know, being aware that, uh, you know, I have this feeling like, like you just did something that has me asking, can I trust you? Well, where can I trust you? What do we do about this situation where I feel like I can't trust you constantly? you're going to judge somebody. I'm going to judge somebody. You're going to see a mistake somebody else makes and being aware that we're doing that and constantly practicing and bringing that perseverance to our practice and, and yeah, not giving up. You know, I think when, when we try it, it doesn't go exactly how we want it to go. So we kind of like throw it out. Um, you know, the other person or, or the team or the organization sees that and they start to you know, wonder how committed we are or how dedicated are we as committed and dedicated as, is the leader as committed and dedicated as she or he want the team to be kind of thing. So bringing that perseverance, if it doesn't work the first time, try it again, uh, try something different, knowing that, you know, your perseverance is going to have an impact on the team and organization. Hey, Rich, as we get ready to conclude, is there anything you'd like to leave as a final thought with our listeners? Um, either anything we didn't ask you or something that maybe you'd like to leave leave them with as a as a challenge? Going back to, to trust, if I may, I'd like to quote the great American poet, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> who I, I heard this, he had a, he did a Springsteen on Broadway 
And he was introducing one of his songs and he said this, that trust in a relationship is a fragile thing because trust requires allowing others to see as much of our real selves as we have the courage to reveal. Hmm. And so when I hear that, it, it really makes me think about, you know, what, what is the armor I have on? What is it that I'm trying, that I'm doing to conceal who I really am for somebody? And he goes on to say, and I think this might be the import, most important part. He says, trusting others means allowing them to see behind our many masks we wear and overcoming that fear of others seeing our real selves or rather learning how to love and how to trust in spite of it. And that takes a lot of courage and a very strong partner. You know, so whether your partner is a family member, a friend, a business associate, a business partner, you know, looking for opportunities to to drop the armor and reveal who you are, I think can be a really viable move to make. And, you know, so I think for me, I know the challenge that I give myself is looking for ways where I can be more real with people. Uh, where I can shed some of the armor literally or figuratively that I may have on and, you know, be someone who they can, you know, see as much of me as, as I want to see of them. And then looking for opportunities to extend trust. I think that's a, just a, a good practice to have is where can I extend to this other person some trust and see that in all likelihood they'll extend it back to me. So yeah, I think those two being real with people and extending trust to people. Well, Rich, thank you for that. Thank you for all your insights today. It's always a pleasure to get to visit with you and both be inspired and challenged by the things you offer. And I know that uh, listeners to this program will, will find that as well uh, and encourage them to go look at, uh, at the things that you're doing at Maximize Potential. So again, just just thanks and uh, wish you the very best. Well, thanks to both of you for this opportunity. Just you know, having this time with you is meaningful and then just really appreciate it. Very grateful to both of you for what you're doing. Thanks. Thanks, Rich. So that is it for us on today's podcast. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.